This is Live Well Talk on where to go for care. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at United Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Do you know where you should go to receive the appropriate medical care for various injuries and conditions? Join us today as Dr. Richard Hodge, physician at Union Point Clinic Urgent Care, Marion, but he is in charge of the urgent cares to explain to listeners uh, when they should go to their primary care provider, a walk-in clinic, or the emergency room. Dr. Hodge, welcome. Thank you. Start by, you know, I think people do a reasonable job of self-selecting the levels of care, but could you just start with, I mean, we want patients to contact us when they're ill. Correct. Right. Um, but, you know, you don't want to walk in your family doctor's clinic with a massive heart attack. You know, I think for the most part, people kind of know that, well, this feels kind of serious, but just give us a general overview, the difference between an urgent care and the emergency room. The emergency room is really set up for significant illnesses and trauma. So if you've had a bad accident and you obviously have um, a significant injury, whether it be a fracture or a laceration of significance, or you've been knocked out, uh, that sort of situation, Chest pain, obviously, shortness of breath or symptoms of a stroke, weakness, headache, uh, sudden onset. Uh, Those sorts of things probably are best served immediately in the emergency room. Now, we do get those people that find their way to urgent care, and we certainly triage them. And sometimes we do end up sending them to the emergency room. But the emergency room should be reserved mainly for those situations where you're going to need a pretty high level of care. Urgent care is just a step below that. Obviously, again, we can evaluate those major injuries and send folks to the ER if that's needed. But anything that's relatively minor cuts, small lacerations, sprains, ankle injuries, you know, people fall and they'll break a finger or dislocate a finger, that sort of thing, we can take care of that in urgent care. Um, Obviously, the respiratory stuff this time of year, COVID, flu, sore throats, those sorts of things, urinary infections. um, Basically, everything that's not real serious, uh, we can take care of in urgent care. And then the difference between, say, our urgent care situation and express um, similar menu express tends to take lower acuity problems than even the urgent care. And the advantage of the express as the name would imply is that we try to have those people sign in or register online to get a time slot. Now, that's not necessarily an appointment, but that's approximate time that you would be seen. And that's the advantage. If you've got something that's bothering you and it's not an emergency that you say, well, I'm going to run in at 10 o'clock this morning to get this looked at, then you can literally sign up. Urgent care has some of those sign-up spots, but we have such a high walk-in volume that we try to leave that mainly for the walk-in stuff. There are a few limited time slots to, again, reserve an approximate time, but that doesn't guarantee uh, that you'll be seen. Then depends on what's going on. Just like in the ER, if there's 
high level of trauma or emergencies, right. then the lower acuity stuff gets pushed to the side a little bit. So, Yeah. It, in my role as the chief medical officer, I, I deal a lot with patient experience and, um, you know, we get complaints about waiting to be seen in the ER and it, 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 I, nobody likes to wait. I, I don't like to wait, but, you know, I have to explain to them that you're getting pushed aside because someone was more ill than you are and that, you know, life-threatening perhaps. And I think that's a good compliment to the urgent care that you less to less degree, you might not get pushed aside if you're supposed to be seen. Uh, the times I've been seen in urgent cares, uh, specifically the Hiawatha one, when it was operational, uh, I got seen fairly quick, you know, in those I'm talking walk in. Right. Know. I, I, what's your thought on the express care? I, I would have bet that they wouldn't have been as successful as they have been. Well, it's a niche type of care. I mean, they're and busy. They are. They are busy. Well, part of that is in the process of uh, opening express and COVID, um, we shuttered the Hiawatha urgent care. Right. Um, and so that, gave, I think, the Express clinics a little bit of a jump start. But again, the Express does serve a niche for those very minor, very quick um, things that can be taken care of in a matter of a few minutes. Um, And um, again, with the emphasis on trying to schedule that approximate time to be seen uh, for convenience. so I, I think that's that's been beneficial yeah. for the patient to be able to have that option for care. Um, and again, our providers at the Express clinics are, they're mid-level providers. So they're nurse practitioners or PAs. Our urgent cares are staffed with some mid-level providers, but we also have physicians. Yeah, we have physicians. Primarily in the urgent care. And all of us but one are board certified in urgent care medicine. So that, I think, is just able to provide a bit more service and a bit more expertise with certain things. So you mentioned urgent care board certification. Is that something new? Uh, It's been around for probably... uh, 10 to 15 years. I don't know exactly. Um, Not a long time because when I did my first board certification in urgent care back in 2016, I was only the second provider in the state of Iowa to be board certified. So we were rare then. Much more prominent now. And I've encouraged all my physician colleagues to become board certified. Um, I think there's significant merit to that in the process. I, I, so, I still believe that too. I have a conversation with a lot of younger doctors that uh, after they get that initial board certification, they consider not recertifying. And I always caution, I say, it it does bring value to your practice. Yes, it really does. Yes. And it, and it keeps you up to date on your skills and knowledge base. So it's, I think it's very worthwhile. Now, how does primary care fit into this? Uh, what sort of communication do you have with the primary care? So 
my doctor knows that I went and saw you in urgent care and knows that I uh, in, have a respiratory illness, et cetera. How, do, how does that work? Well, with everybody being on the same medical record, uh, those notes are automatically visible to the uh, primary care providers. Uh, typically, um, they'll get a notification through EPIC. Um, you can also send a message as a provider can send a message to you uh, that I saw your patient uh, in urgent care if it was necessary. Um, we still encourage people for those day in, day out concerns with your hypertension, your diabetes, your chronic diseases, definitely reach out to your primary care provider first to see if they are able to get you in that day or within a couple of days to be seen. Obviously, in some situations, that's not possible. So we do, in urgent care, see uh, a moderate amount of some chronic care management. We do help help our primary care colleagues in that realm. And then, so then also unassigned patients or patients that don't Correct. have primary care, you encourage them to get it, of course. We do, although in my experience, uh, about 40% of the people we see do not have a primary care provider. And I think a good proportion of those don't really want a primary care provider. They're younger patients. Right. They just, they just, I'll come in and see you when I'm sick, doc. That sort of thing. Yeah. I, obviously our profession, we, we'd like to see them establish care, but I get it too. You know, yeah. I, I don't think I had a even being a doctor, I'm not so sure I had a primary care provider my whole life, you know? Right. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's, you're invincible when you're young. Then you learn that that, that isn't true <laughs> as you get older. Um, so is there, in the urgent cares, in the ER, we have a, the triage system, you know, you check in and if, you know, the patient not coming in by ambulance, but has chest pain, you know, they triage that differently. So we don't have someone sitting in the waiting room with a, a serious illness. Well, how, how's that done in urgent care? Very similarly. Okay. Uh, patient comes in, they'll present to the experienced specialist at the front desk and anybody with a laceration that's bleeding, an obvious fracture, chest pain, shortness of breath, those um, are red flags to our staff and they know immediately to grab one of the nurses and one of the nurses then will escort that patient back into um, our patient care area and start evaluation, regardless of who may have been, again, in line ahead of that yeah, particular yeah. patient. And that's where things can sometimes get a little bit sideways for those who are waiting. But again, those emergency situations are handled um, very similarly to the ER. If it's a high level acuity, then we see them right away. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense and is reassuring. Um, as far as the, you described the lacerations, uh, my personal experience working at urgent care, you know, some of the deep hand lacerations or hand injuries, uh, I didn't feel comfortable managing in urgent care. What, what's been your experience with lacerations? Well, lacerations, um, number one, it depends on the location. You're absolutely correct. And again, that's we evaluate all of them, especially hand lacerations, to make sure there's not a tendon injury or a joint injury that's going to require um, closure in the operating room with irrigation and all that sort of thing. That's a different level of care. Um, and secondarily, the age of the patient. 
sometimes uh, three, four-year-old kids can be pretty difficult to try to yeah. to um, repair, especially if they've got a, a nice facial laceration that you want it to look good when you're done. A lot of times those kids, I'll have a frank discussion with the parents and say, you know, I could sew this up, but Joey's pretty agitated and I'm not real anxious uh, having him wiggle around. I'd recommend we go down to the ER where they can give him a little anesthetic, call an ENT or plastic surgeon if necessary and get this done so it looks good when we're right, done. Right, right. So it's more that give and take with the parents and the provider to make sure they understand if they say, no, we want you to sew it up here, doc, that, you know, that may not be the ideal situation, but. Give little Joey a little character as he gets older, have a big yeah, scar. That's right. Yeah, running the playground at recess. Um, Dr. Hodge, I, you know, it's easy to notice with uh, the uh, roster of uh, clinicians that a lot of younger clinicians are gravitating towards express care and urgent care, mm-hmm. uh, ARMPs and some MDs, you know. Um, is there, you, I, for me, I learned more in my first two years of practice hanging out with older physicians, experienced physicians, than I ever did in training, you know, and it was such a wonderful experience and so valuable to my career. It, but is it, does that go on in the urgent cares? Is there some mentorship there? Absolutely. Yes. Um, I work very closely with um, all of our mid-level providers, um, Usually um, they're scheduled in one of the clinics w- with me um, once or twice a month. So I work work with them side by side. And they always have questions. Sometimes I have questions. It's just good to, to be able to make suggestions and discuss cases and, and, and just to help them learn. A lot of our um, APPs are fairly experienced. Even some of our express providers have had some ER experience and come from that realm. Um, some of them are newer graduates. Um, so this, the learning curve's pretty sharp. I always tell folks, um, you don't do soldier training by putting them on the front lines of the war. Right. You train, them, yeah. you train them ahead of time and then put them on the front lines right. of the war. So, you know, urgent care and express can be the front lines fairly frequently. So, we try to make sure um, when we do put providers in a in a clinic that they are they are experienced and put them in a position to succeed. I can imagine that your experience as a family uh, practice physician really complements what you do. Absolutely, just uh, getting a good history right. uh, and assessment. Yeah, and being able to do that efficiently. Um, that's that's key to the whole thing. Again, it's it's not like a primary care practice where we need to sit down and take a complete history and physical. We've got 10, 15 minutes. We got to get we got to get things sorted out, get the patient taken care of them, get them on their way. And so having that knowledge base of, oh yeah, this is what this sounds like and be able to kind of develop your differential quickly and work it quickly. Um, that experience is invaluable. Yeah, I, I, one of the great things about having a career in medicine is 
as you age, it gets harder, harder to go on no sleep, et cetera. I mean, you, you meant brought attention to that, but it, it's really building upon those years and reflecting back and remembering cases. I mean, sometimes I say, I remember uh, more than I've seen and I've seen more than I remember. Right. But uh, it does, it does, it does give you a valuable tool clinically to have that experience. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Hodge, thank you for joining me, informing our listeners about where to go for care. Once again, this was Dr. Richard Hodge, physician at UniPoint Clinic Urgent Care, Marion. Uh, to learn more about where to go for care, visit UniPoint.org. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.